Hey, Mike Baker here. Well, spring is in full swing. And for millions of folks, that means yard work and gardening. Am I right? Now, here's a pro tip for those of you looking to spruce up your landscaping. Fast Growing Trees is the largest online nursery in the U.S. They've got over 10,000 plant varieties and millions of satisfied customers. Save yourself the time and trouble of multiple trips to those crowded nurseries. You know what I'm talking about. Fast Growing Trees is a complete time saver. From fruit trees to houseplants, they have it all, and it's delivered right to your doorstep. Plus, their plant experts are always available for advice. They can tell you what grows best in your area, how to plant, when to plant. It's like having your own expert gardener. And here's the best part. This spring, they have up to half off on select plants. And listeners to the President's Daily Brief can get an extra 15% off by using promo code PDB at checkout. So go to FastGrowingTrees.com and use promo code PDB at checkout. Welcome to a special weekend edition of the President's Daily Brief. I'm your host, Mike Baker. Now, we received a great response from last weekend's mailbag episode, where I tried, hopefully somewhat successfully, to answer some of the many questions and comments that you send to the PDB on a daily basis. So, due to overwhelming demand from our global listening audience, here's another edition of the PDB mailbag. This question comes from Jacqueline, who writes, This might be a ridiculous question, but every time I listen to reports on North and South Korea... Kim Jong-un gives some kind of reasoning, dare I call it a rationale, well, I think you just did, Jacqueline, about never reunifying with South Korea. Does South Korea want to reunify with North Korea, and are they actively trying to force that issue? Well, first of all, Jacqueline, it's not a ridiculous question. I have heard some ridiculous questions in my time, and this is not one of them. The concept of reunification for the Korean Peninsula has, to date anyway, always been more of a diplomatic talking point than a hard and fast objective, really, for either side. The theoretical idea, or the ability to point to reunification as a lofty future goal, has helped on occasion to temper the cross-border rhetoric. The implementation of that goal, however, would require the North Korean dynasty of the Kim family to give up power and assimilate into the real world, and frankly, that's not likely to happen in our lifetimes. Right, this next one comes from Michael. He has a question about the conflict in the Red Sea, and he asks, How come the U.S. and the U.K. are the only nations that are providing naval support in the Red Sea? It seems to me that the world always expects the U.S. to fix it while everyone else takes a back seat. I haven't heard of any other nations directly helping this conflict. Well, Michael, a lot of people have that same perception, that the U.S. and the U.K. are the only nations directly involved in dealing with the Iran-backed Houthi attacks on international shipping in the Red Sea. And there's no doubt that the U.S. and U.K. have led the way, particularly when it comes to counter-strikes against Houthi targets. But there are other nations supporting the effort. Now, some through the participation in the U.S.-led operation named Prosperity Guardian, and some through other already existing naval coalitions and operations that are intended to protect shipping lanes from pirates and others. Canada, France, Italy, the Netherlands, Norway, Spain, Bahrain, Greece, Australia, and others, some of whom don't want to be identified, are all providing some level of support in various ways. All right, let's open this letter from Dan. He asks, 
Why doesn't the U.S. drop an EMP bomb on Iran? No one dies, but Iran can't make anything technical like drones and missiles for Russia and Iran proxies. It seems like this would be a long overdue strike against a country who has caused us trouble since the hostage situation in the 70s. Well, Dan, part of the problem with the new warfare scenarios, such as the use of electromagnetic pulses or EMPs, or perhaps a major cyber attack or taking out a nation's satellites, is that you're essentially opening up Pandora's box or letting the genie out of the bottle or, you know, I can't think of any more trite sayings, but you get the point. Nobody, barring perhaps non-state actors or a rogue nation despot, wants to be the first to engage in something like this because of the fear that it unleashes similar counter-strikes and normalizes this type of warfare. Does the capability exist? Well, yes. Do other nations besides the U.S. have the same capability? Also, yes. And if that unfortunate day arrives, when we have a serious global conflict, well, EMPs and massive cyber attacks on critical infrastructure will definitely be at the pointy edge of the spear. Our next email comes from Daniel from Oklahoma, where, as you know, the wind comes sweeping down the plain, not to mention that the wind comes right behind the rain, with a nod to Rogers and Hammerstein. But I digress. Oklahoma Dan asks, How does the working-class American, living in the boonies of rural Oklahoma, deal with such a changing and threatening world? What is the most important topic of preparedness that I should consider for me and my family from the perspective of my most accurate eyes and ears on the world stage? Well, first of all, thanks for that subtle yet highly accurate compliment. If you're living in the boonies, though, I suspect you're already far more prepared and able to deal with crisis and the issue of preparedness than them city folk. Whether you're preparing for a natural disaster or a man-made goat rope, the concerns are always the same. How to maintain communications, food, water, power, shelter, and of course, protection of the family. But you've given me an idea, Dan. Perhaps we should put together a special PDB where we talk about being prepared for a crisis. I mean, given that I seem to spend a fair amount of time talking about just how unstable the world seems nowadays. All right. This one comes from Stefan, who writes, Stefan? Stephen. Stephen? Steph? Steve? Hmm. Uh, I'm always confused by that. It's S-T-E-P-H-E-N. Stephen? Stephen? Hmm. Anyway, he writes, Big fan. I'm 35 years old, and my question is simple. With continued distrust in mainstream media, my generation struggles to find reliable, unbiased news outlets and thus relies on social media, which, in my opinion, is doing more harm than good. Can you suggest some resources that will allow us to be more educated on world issues? Well, Stefan, Stephen, Steve, Steph, thanks very much. You've asked one of the most important questions, actually, that anybody, regardless of age, can ask. How to sift through the noise and focus on credible, fact-based reporting. It comes down in part to being curious, inquisitive, and somewhat skeptical. You should be reading and listening to a variety of outlets. Now, the Financial Times, Reuters, the BBC... They're good at leading with the news and minimizing, for the most part, the opinions. And then you should read opposing viewpoints. For example, read the New York Times and the Washington Examiner. It will, in short order, show you how the same story gets sometimes entirely different coverage. And by all means, plow through social media. But take the time to understand the ultimate sourcing for the stories that you read on social media. And try to avoid the, the partisan echo chambers that exist out there. People get very comfortable and very complacent listening to stories or commentary that reinforces their assumptions or current beliefs. 
All right. I'll be right back after a quick break. Hey, Mike Baker here. Well, once again, Pure Talk is investing in their customers out of their own pocket without charging an extra penny. Now, you've heard me talk about Pure Talk before, right? How they provide excellent coverage and service with industry-beating rates. And now, I'm happy to announce that Pure Talk is also providing international roaming to over 50 countries. That's right. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless provider has you covered at home and abroad. Pure Talk already puts you on America's most dependable 5G network, but now they're giving you coverage in over 50 countries as well. Unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data for just $20 a month. Look, that's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Bring your phone, and Pure Talk's eSIM technology makes switching so simple. Or you can get great savings on the latest iPhones and Androids. Make the switch to the cell phone company that I know will provide you with outstanding service and value, Pure Talk. Just go to puretalk.com slash baker, that's B-A-K-E-R, just like you imagined, to start saving today. And when you do, you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, visit puretalk.com slash baker to start saving on wireless at home and abroad. Hey, Mike Baker here. Well, we made it through winter. Look at that. And spring, well, it's in full bloom, which, of course, means summer is just around the corner. You see how I figured that out? And that means more time spent outdoors. Not to mention, you got to get into summer shape, huh? Factor can help you spend less time in the kitchen and make sure you're eating well and meeting your wellness goals. Factors, no prep, no mess meals, save time, and help with getting and keeping you in great shape for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors, fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Seriously, it's going to be beach time soon. What are you waiting for? With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you keep kitchen time to a minimum. Factor meals are ready in two minutes. No shopping, no prepping, no cooking or cleaning up. Factor is part of our meal routine at the Baker Compound. And I can tell you, food is delicious and it's a complete time saver. Head to factormeals.com slash pdb50, that's five zero, and use code pdb50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code PDB50 at factormeals.com slash PDB50. You get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Welcome back to this special weekend edition of the President's Daily Brief Mailbag. Let's jump right back in with a question from Leslie. She's writing us from Hackensack, New Jersey. And you can't really say Hackensack without smiling. It just sounds happy. It, it's like hockey puck. I mean, try try saying hockey puck without smiling. See, it's impossible. Right now, all of you, everywhere, you're all listening in different parts of the world, and right now you're all saying hockey puck. Anyway, Leslie says, I've been a supporter of Israel for my entire life, but I don't understand why they're so resistant to the creation of a Palestinian state. It seems like if the Palestinian people were allowed to have their own country that was internationally recognized, the international community could hold them accountable for things like the October 7th massacre. What am I missing? Well, congratulations, Leslie, on asking the most contentious question of the day. If the PDB had branded swag, we would definitely be sending some your way. Maybe a, a PDB coffee mug or a set of PDB martini glasses. 
The history of the two-state solution scenario is one of the most complex, frustrating, and divisive diplomatic stories in modern times. Arab states, Palestinian leadership, and Israel have all, at various times, refused to consider a two-state solution. The current conflict has resurrected the concept, particularly as the U.S. pushes it as the best approach, despite the fact that it's been unworkable in the past. Israel's recent declaration that they will not consider a Palestinian state is more a statement that they will not allow it to be imposed on them by outside interests. They stated at the same time that any two-state solution must be the result of negotiations between Israel and Palestinian leadership. Right now, they view any talk of a Palestinian state as nothing more than a reward to Hamas for their brutal 7 October slaughter that kicked off this latest conflict. All right, here's a question I got from Andrew. He's emailing us from Richmond Hill, Georgia. He says, It's pretty obvious where your sympathies lie when it comes to the war between Ukraine and Russia. Yeah, I suppose it is. When the war first started, I think we were basically in the same boat. But it's been two years, and this thing has cost hundreds of thousands of lives and hundreds of billions of dollars. At some point, don't we have to say enough is enough? And when does the price become too high? Well, Andrew... Okay, you're not alone, meaning at the outset, everybody in the U.S. and elsewhere couldn't wait to put a Ukrainian flag on their porch or an I stand with Ukraine bumper sticker on their jalopy. As it turns out, the bumper sticker should have read, I stand with Ukraine as long as it doesn't take too long. But that's, that's way too many words for a bumper sticker. Folks in the U.S. are still dealing with Iraq and Afghanistan fatigue, as well as the reality that there are a lot of issues on the home front that need attention and resources. And the U.S. administration has done a mediocre, at best, job of explaining where the money is going, why it's important, and how we're ensuring that it's spent properly by the Ukraine government. I suspect more transparency in the process would have tamped down some of the dissatisfaction over how much is too much. It comes down to what you imagine Putin's intentions to be. If you believe that Putin just wants Ukraine and has no intention of expanding his ambitions, then you can make this just about Ukraine. It's a contained issue. And perhaps rationalize that it's not in the U.S. national security interest to spend even more money to defend Ukraine. After all, it's just Ukraine, just one country. Why should the U.S. care? For what it's worth, I wouldn't trust Putin's word on anything. And I believe that he's spent the past 30-plus years dreaming of rebuilding the former Soviet Union in some fashion. It's a fairly simple calculation. If we don't continue to support Ukraine, if we pull out now after two years of waving our Ukraine flags, talking about their courage, posting little Ukraine flags on our Twitter sites, then we don't have the right to act amazed, upset, or shocked when Putin defeats Ukraine. And without the U.S. resources, he will eventually defeat Ukraine. And if what you want is a negotiated settlement to end the war... Well, the only way to bring Putin to the table is from a position of strength. He needs to feel as if he's losing, and possibly losing popular support in Russia, in order to force him to the table. This next email is from Jeff. And Jeff says, love the PDB podcast and all the others you've been on. Thank you, Jeff. I like the cut of your jib. I have a question, he says. I hear you and others talk about the UN. I understand what the UN is, and in theory, what their role is. However... It seems with most news reports, we hear of something happening which is against the U.N. So here's my question. Does the U.N. actually do anything good? Are there any treaties or resolutions that are actually adhered to? Or is the U.N. just a bunch of useless betas 
that are stealing money to enrich themselves. Well, Jeff, I suppose two things can be true at the same time, meaning parts of the UN do serve a purpose and parts of the UN are self-serving. There are moments, like when the UN appointed Iran to chair a human rights forum, or the UNRWA office at the UN allowed itself to be populated with Hamas sympathizers, that you can be convinced the UN is a completely useless, self-righteous, mostly feckless gaggle of high-priced and entitled bureaucrats. But in today's world, there actually does need to be an entity, a place that brings nations together, even if they're not really together, to at least attempt to foster dialogue and the occasional good work. For now, frankly, the UN is the best we've got. It could do with some revamping and maybe a relocation to Switzerland, but even if it's dysfunctional at most times, it, it does prove its worth occasionally. Here's a question from Jordan. He writes, I'm sure you're a busy man. Oh, I am. So if you get a moment, I have a question for you. I'm a daily listener, and I was curious, what are some of the books you have recommended most this year? No specific genre, good use of the word genre, just curious about the ones that have caused you to recommend them most. And P.S., when does the merch drop? Oh, oh good use of the, the new age term merch. I, I've got kids, so I know what that means. It's like the old word swag. Jordan, thank you for assuming, first of all, that I read books, and I do. A few years back, when my boys, Scooter and Sluggo and Muggsy, were young, I would have recommended Where the Wild Things Are, Goodnight Moon, and, and of course, Winnie the Pooh. I mean, I, I still recommend them. I just don't read them as often as I used to. I recently finished the three-book series on Winston Churchill, The Last Lion. It's outstanding. It's very detailed, but very readable. And other books that I've recommended, lately anyway, at least over the past 12 months or so, 1944 by Jay Winnick, very good. Uh, Spymaster's Prism. Now, this is by my very good friend and former boss, uh, Jack Devine, a great guy and a great book. The Revolutionary by Stacey Schiff. And a couple I've reread recently. The Wild Blue by Stephen Ambrose. Or is it Stephen Ambrose? See, there you go. It's S-T-P-H-E-N. That name is always giving me fits. Uh, and The Boys in the Boat by Daniel James Brown. I reread that one as well. The movie's coming out. Fantastic book. All right. I have time for one last question. And that comes from Michael. He says, I love the PDB podcast. Thank you. But commercials make me sad. Oh. Is there any ad-free version of the podcast. Well, Michael, go and be sad no more. While we do have terrific sponsors, I get it. There are times when you just want the news. Just the facts, ma'am, as Sergeant Friday used to say. There's a cultural pull. You ask, and the PDB delivers. We'll be starting up a premium membership for listeners shortly. No ads, same great taste. All right. I just want to thank all the listeners who've sent comments and questions. We're thinking of doing these mailbag episodes on a semi-regular basis, so if you'd like to have your question answered, please send it to pdb at thefirsttv.com. Carl, the talking intern, goes through all the mail, and while big words can confuse him occasionally, he does a great job of selecting listener questions. That's all the time I have for now. I'm Mike Baker. I'll be back on Monday. Until then, stay informed, stay safe, stay cool. What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We 
avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are, and it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith.